Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Leah Bayer, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks so much for having me back. It's great talking to you again. Leah Alyssa Bayer is president of OJK Architecture and Planning. She's passionate about improving the quality of other people's lives by fostering connections and positive experiences. She's skilled in creative business management and storytelling and design systems and teams that are transparent, equitable, and healthy, which then carries into the architecture that she creates. And prior to joining OJK, Leah was here on the podcast and she shared her journey to founding her award-winning firm, 100% women-led virtual firm doing all kinds of new things. Evia Studio was the name of that firm. So you can listen to Leah's origin story. We're not going to do origin story today because it's there on episode 335. Uh, We're going to pick up where we left off from 335 in this episode. Uh, So you can go back and hear Leah's uh, origin story. You can hear all about the new ideas that she had and has for Evia Studio, which I'm sure she's bringing to the new venture. Um, But since then, speaking of new ventures, she's partnered with uh, other small firm leaders and merged and combined and did all kinds of things that now they're all one firm, OJK. And we're going to talk about that and how that happened and why it happened and the whole structure of it all. Oh, oh, oh and top of, on top of that, on top of her, her launching a second firm, Leah is AIA Silicon Valley's 2021-2022 Vice President, President-Elect for uh, AIA Silicon Valley. 
She is an AIA California board member. She's the chair of the NCARB Experience Committee. She's the co-chair of the upcoming 2022 AIA National Women's Leadership Summit. So she's a busy lady. She's doing a lot of things, making the world a better place. I want to get right into this, Leah. I don't, I, we don't need to go back to your origin story. I encourage everybody, it's a great story, to go back to episode 335 and, uh, and listen to that and, uh, and learn all about the origin and, the, and Evia and how that all happened. But I want, to, I want to know what's happened since then. I've been waiting for this opportunity because I heard what happened and I wanted to hear the story, but I wanted to get it on here so we could share it with the listeners as well. So welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride since we last connected. Yeah. Well, the last time we spoke, it, it, you, had, um, you had launched Evia. 100% women-led, all kinds of new things, and that podcast was focused on on your innovations and your new ideas and the new way of, of launching that firm. Uh, and then since then, you combined with another firm. Can you just sort of pick up from where we left off and just sort of give us a story of where we are now? And then I want to ask some questions about how it happened and why it happened and all of that. Sure, yeah. So I think where we left off is I had built up a virtual team um, spread across the country, and we were mostly practicing in single-family residential work, um, doing a lot of very sustainable projects and some cool stuff in Hawaii, and just trying to build up our portfolio. Um, shortly after that podcast, we had our first retreat and had an opportunity to meet each other for the first time, um, which was wonderful, and ch- sort of chart our path together. Um, looking at the business plan that I had written, and I think that's part of what we had talked about in the last episode, is um, the purpose and importance of a business plan. Uh, so we looked at that together and then explored what our futures look like as a uh, as a team now, because it wasn't just up to me. And fortunately, everyone was interested in continuing to break into multifamily uh, work, uh, wanted to explore work that was more meaningful and had a better impact for our communities. Um, and we weren't quite sure how to get there, uh, but we knew that that was the ultimate goal, and that was part of the plan, was to break into and expand into more multifamily housing, to provide more quality housing for um, the world, really. Uh, it's in desperate need, especially in California and the Bay Area. Um, not long after that, the uh, work from home orders hit us, <laughs> which was totally unexpected, but really um serendipitous that we had set up this virtual practice and didn't really have much of an impact operationally. We were still functioning the same way. But the work slowed down, obviously. I think everybody was initially hit by this panic of what's going to happen. And so we were quite concerned about what we would do with our team and how we would manage and navigate through this unknown. Um, At the same time, one of my team members, Denise, Uh, had taken another job because we didn't have enough work for her and asked if she could do part-time here and part-time with this other company that happened to be OJK. And uh, yeah. And so she, um, you know, talked to them about our team and was explaining that she'd need to have time to work for Evie as well. Explain that we were a remote company and her first day of work was actually the first day of work for home orders. So she never worked in the office for OJK. They had a lot of challenges with um, going remote, didn't know how to do that. 
we had some challenges with not knowing what we'd be working on and they had too much work. So brilliant Denise proposed this idea that we could help train them and bring them into the remote work environment. And in turn, they could share uh, work with us and sort of use our team as an expanded workforce and have this collaborative relationship on one of their projects. Turns out the work that they do is really all multifamily work, all affordable housing work. And so it fit really well with our mission and the type of work we wanted to do. And we had a meeting with the, the owner there and there's just this really great synergy between um, our team and his team. And so that partnership developed and we started working together and um, led us on this course to taking over the company, which I can get into more detail, but that's sort of where we are now um, from that random <laughs> happening uh, at the beginning of, of the pandemic. Wow. Another, another story of a silver lining for the pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic was horrible, is still horrible. We're coming out of it now. Um, but certainly it affected people in, in many negative ways. But I've heard so many stories of, you know, um, opportunities coming from the forced changes that we were made, that had been made and, and opportunities like you that just, if it didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened, right? And uh, so, so very many different interesting um, situations have occurred. I want to just jump back to one thing you said. <laughs> <laughs> you took your retreat and it was the first time you guys met. Yes. Yeah. And so you launched a firm with a bunch of people when, and you're full remote. You were always full remote, all the, all the establishment of the firm and organizing the company and figuring out what you're going to do and whose jobs are what and never met in person. Correct. Yeah. I of course had met yeah. most of my team members, but not all of them individually. A couple of them had met each other because one was a friend of mine and one was a past colleague of mine. But as a whole, we had never met as a group and some of us had never seen each other face to face. In particular, one of our team members from New Hampshire hadn't met anyone before. <laughs> it's just wild and a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting because that situation, although it sounds almost humorous, right? Saying that and hearing that and but that's the future that, you know, in the next couple of years, that's people are going to look at that like, oh, yeah, that's how it's done. That's how we start firms. We start firms virtually. We start them remotely. Uh, you know, a lot of people will not have met in person. I'm doing lots of business that way. I'm making business deals and partnerships and and things like that are happening uh with Entree Architect and the things that we're doing with people that I've built really strong, trusting relationships with that we haven't met in a, in a room together, physically face-to-face mm -hmm. -face because of the situation that we're in. You know, we've, opportunities have come and gone and, uh, and you know, opportunities have been presented to us and this is the way it works. And so it's interesting that you hear that and you're like, oh, that's very new, right? Yeah. But, but it's certainly the future. Um, the and then the serendipity almost the the accidental opportunity that has that was brought to you where things slowed down because of the pandemic one of your team members goes off to work for somebody else that you don't even know um she says well look at what's happening over here this is you know they have lots of work we get we're slow we can bring our team to his team and we can help him 
and mm-hmm. work together and mutually benefit and then find that there's synergies there and that there are opportunities there and that he's thinking about finding his way out and you're thinking about finding your way in and it's all working. And before we jump into the specifics of that, can you talk a little bit about the history of OJK and and how long it's been around and the structure of it and uh, a little bit about the ownership prior to you and, and give us a little context on that? Sure, of course. So OJK uh, is owned and founded by um, Jerry King, who has been in the Bay Area for decades. Practice actually will be celebrating its 40th anniversary in August this year. Yeah, long time. And really for the past 20 plus years has been 100% focused on affordable housing. That's what they're known for. Most of the work is centered in San Jose. Um, Some sort of scattered a little bit beyond the bounds of the South Bay and, and the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and, and again, really exclusively housing work. Um, it was a California corporation. And so that's part of what led to the transition, the way that we had done it is the structure was set up the way that it was. So it was easier for us to take that over as opposed to a different structure. Um, and he uh, and his wife were both the shareholders for the company very small team. Um, it was Denise, of course, who was also on my team, Sarah, Greg, and then a part-time um, former partner, Andy. So it's really just it's mostly four people working, uh, approximately four people full-time. Um, and they had stayed small. It was intentional. Jerry really liked having a team where everyone is invested in every part of the design process and, um, and intentionally kept that team quite small for that purpose. Really beautiful work. I think his uh, housing is known for being um, just stunningly beautiful and not something that you would typically expect to be an affordable housing development. Uh, Really strong attention to materiality. Uh, Most of the projects are lead platinum. Fortunately, has some great clients that really support pushing the leading edge of sustainability. Um, So there are a lot of things that I think overlapped with what our team was really interested in doing as well as it relates to both just the beauty and the sustainability and the function of the architecture. So, so 40 years mm-hmm. doing um, affordable housing, multifamily housing, uh, just a year or two prior to that, you had a retreat talking about what you wanted to do, move from single family to multifamily, be more impactful with the world and try to you know, uh, have a purpose with the work that you do and, and make the world better through through affordable housing. And then you meet Jerry and, and, and it's just, you know, it's all coming together. You know, just as an aside, I believe things happen for a reason, right? That, that things happen because they're meant to happen. And there's a perfect example of that, you know, that you're building this thing that can benefit everybody, right? And he has been building something for 40 years these two things on a path coming together, you know, that's, it's, there's too many coincidences there for that to, to just be coincidence. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's exciting to, to see this and hear this story. Um, how did, how did you approach Jerry um, to talk beyond, you know, some assistance? How do you, how do you ever get to the conversation of, you know, merging and purchasing and all of the rest of that? How did that start? 
So it's really through one of the existing staff members, Sarah. Uh, Sarah was the project manager on the project that we were the extended team for. And it was a new client of theirs. And she was pushing hard to form a very strong relationship and was very involved in working closely with our team. And through that process, Sarah and I just had some one-on-one meetings off to the side to get to know each other better and talk about the future of architecture and what we see uh, and what we want for practice. And it was just sort of like fun getting to know you conversations that we scheduled on a monthly basis to keep in touch. Um, Through that, I don't remember how it happened, but she mentioned that uh, Jerry had approached her about potentially um, taking over the company in a leadership transition. And she was not interested. Um, she did not want to run a company. She loved being a project manager and a project architect. Couldn't see that path forward for her. But in having these conversations with me and realizing that's the component of work that I really love, she started to think that there might be an opportunity for a partnership there. Um, and so she had really casually proposed the idea and and asked if that might be something that I'd be interested in and what could we do with OJK in using the systems that she really loved with EVIA. It's interesting. She she said that um, even though she had been at OJK for over a year and a half, in the short period of time working with my team, she felt closer to my team just because of the virtual systems that were set up and yeah. that focus on culture was really strong and she loved that. And so she she visualized the combination of the two and and we started talking about how that might happen and what that would look like. And then during one of those meetings, she looked at me and and asked, have you met Kate? <laughs> and this is funny because I have heard this so many times um, from so many different people throughout my career in the Bay Area. All these people keep asking if I've met this architect, Kate Conley. Um, and I laughed and said, no, but I think it's time that I, I do. <laughs> and so she brought Kate in to our next conversation. Um, Kate was actually the best friend of Sarah's for a long time. They met at Cal Poly. We were all at Cal Poly at the same time, which is surprising. We never bumped into each other. Another coincidence. Yeah, we have a lot of parallels. Um, Kate and I actually were born and raised in, well, not born, but raised in the same town. We both grew up in Camarillo. There's a lot (laughs) of really weird parallels here. Um, (laughs) and, uh, And Kate just had a really similar perspective on the future of practice and architecture. Um, and also has interest in architect developer um, trajectory, and, uh, and she was she was not part of OJK. She was she was not she was friends no. with Sarah, but separate separate doing something else. Correct. Yeah, really close friends with Sarah. They had worked together at a previous company. Kate went off and worked for Foster and Partners for a while, um, and then joined a, a larger sort of multidiscipline local firm in the Bay Area. And was on that path to leadership, but also wasn't quite sure how that would happen at her current firm. Um, And so she brought in sort of a missing element that we had where Sarah really appreciated and enjoys the client relationships and design aspect. I love the business of architecture, the storytelling. Uh, And Kate has this incredible technical expertise and um, construction administration experience. And so with the three of us coming together and talking about our passions and and what we really love to do and own, it was very clear uh, how well we balanced each other out and 
that this could be a great way for us to really level up um, the practice uh, and take it beyond where OJK was or where EVA was. This combined grouping would allow us to move forward in, in the ultimate plan for taking over the world, obviously, um, <laughs> but growing growing the practice that we would like to grow. So Kate, Kate was not, a, she didn't, she did not have her own firm. She was working for somebody at the time, someone else. but mm-hmm. on track for leadership. Okay, yeah. and so you have have three people coming from three different places. Yeah. You you um, Sarah was offered the opportunity to buy into the firm and have an ownership transition with to, with Jerry. So Jerry clearly was thinking about exiting and how he was going to exit. And his wife was part owner. She's an architect as well. She's an interior designer. Okay, mm-hmm. so so they own the company together, and they were looking for their exit. And Sarah was it, but Sarah wasn't interested because. She loves design and and project management and didn't want to do the business and didn't want to deal with the technology. And and then she met you and said, oh, I love your systems. I love your business. This is really great. Did you meet Kate? Kate's great with technology. She's a great friend of mine. Oh, and by the way, we all grew up together and we didn't know it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so when you all meet, was 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 it love at first sight? When you when the three of you came together and you start talking about this, was it clear that this was going to happen right from the very beginning? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It it became very clear quickly that regardless of whether or not we took over Jerry's company, OJK, that we wanted to work together as partners. Interesting. Um, so we started talking about a particular opportunity and then just, you know, came to this conclusion that because of our aligned values and goals but different and complementary skill sets it just was the right matching for us to work together as as leaders of the firm how did and how did how did the evia culture mesh with the ojk culture with with them being physical and and you know have the history of 40 years of of growth your brand new virtual firm, completely different structures. How did those cultures work out? Oh, I don't want to say the Avia culture took over. <laughs> I don't know if it was loud and sort of infused itself into OJK. Um, I think Jerry's perspective and how he treats people um, just with respect and transparency and really, you know, love and joy and appreciation for what he does was obvious. They didn't necessarily have a very strong defined culture for their practice, um, but in understanding who he was and how he approached things, it was there and it, it matched. So I think the structures that we had in place to really support that culture and and show that culture more loudly um, and mm-hmm. um, with one another were a natural fit for the team at OJK. And again, having such a small team and one of them my team members and another one kind right. of yeah. an EVA team member by by working with EVA, um, it was really simple for us to be able to combine that. Um, I will say, though, that there was an existing team member at OJK that struggled quite a bit with this remote work environment and um, the idea of that being permanent. And we understood that that would be something that we might face. Um, It's not for everybody. You know, there's different structures for different people. And and so he did. He gave it his all, but he definitely struggled in, in the idea of 
not working in an office ever again. Right, right. And and that's f- absolutely a valid, uh, you know, feeling. And, and there are some people who need that, need that physical space. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. As architecture demand increases toward pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your architecture firm keeping up? RCAT is here to help. RCAT.com offers several free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours get work done faster. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. It's free. RCAT.com also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification information, outline and short form specification generation, and so much more. Visit RCAT.com today. RCAT.com is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity and get more projects done faster. That's RCAT.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with financial reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects. Who has the time? But if we don't send out the invoices, we don't get paid, right? FreshBooks makes it easy to send out your invoices and get paid fast online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature. And Infratech outdoor electric heating systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient ambient warmth that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of their unparalleled versatility. From heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heat company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. A few years ago, I was visiting Sonoma Wine Country in California. It was during the autumn, so it was a bit cool when the sun dropped below the horizon. One evening, we joined a group of friends for dinner at one of the big wineries, and and we ate outside on the veranda. That amazing Sonoma sun was setting behind the vineyard, so it was getting rather cool that evening, but we were very comfortable. In fact, the temperature was perfect 
for an outdoor meal during a cool Sonoma evening. I looked up and around to discover why that temperature was so comfortable and found, yes, you guessed it, an InfraTech heater integrated with the design of the wood trellis above our table. All these years later, I know it was an InfraTech heater because back at the studio, we were planning a large outdoor space for a client and outdoor heating was part of that plan. And we ended up specifying six InfraTech heaters for that project. Their amazing customer support team helped us specify the right units and we had a very happy and comfortable client. InfraTech is specified at the most prestigious properties around the world. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcast. That's infratech-usa.com slash podcast. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So the three of you decide this is going to happen with or without OJK and Jerry. Um, so you decide this. So how do you approach Jerry? Sarah, Sarah really had the first conversation with Jerry and asked if he'd be open to a partnership uh, in the transition. And um, he was open to meeting with us and and just sort of chatting about the philosophy and architecture and testing out working together. So we actually had a couple um, design crits where he invited us to participate on projects that they had in the office that were in the initial design phase to see how that worked out. And it was really fun. We all got along really well and the collaboration and the design process just felt magical and it worked well. Um, and uh, he invited Kate actually to work for OJK for sort of a trial for a week. And so she was able to come over and um, work with Jerry and build confidence and trust there. And just through those casual getting to know you collaborations and him knowing that our team, the EVA team was really helping support um, a, a really important project for them and doing quite well in that process. Uh, we're able to build up trust over the period of a few months. Uh, and then at that time where it was obvious that there was a match there, we sat down and started talking about what this would look like and, and how a transition might happen. And fortunately, he had already gone through the process of getting his company evaluated. He had been thinking about retirement for the last handful of years and actually had gone through the process of initially looking at selling the firm and decided that wasn't for him. So there was already some structure in place on his end to be able to share with us for us to start considering. Uh, and so, so, so he had an idea of what the what the firm was worth. Mm -hmm. So you had you had somewhere to start that conversation in terms yeah. of of a, a purchase. So, um, so the structure was that so Kate went to work for OJK, so she became an employee. Uh, that that no, was a trial. That was a she trial. had like a, a week trial. Just Got it. So, so that, that was they a trial. Could get Okay. And yeah. so, so they, so, um, you decide that this is going to happen and you, know, you talk to Jerry, Jerry says, okay, we're going to do this. What was the actual process of doing it? How, what was the structure in terms of mergers and purchases? And, um, and then I also, well, start there. I have another question, but let's, let's start there. Yeah. It's, it's complex and it's a lot of work and <laughs> it's emotional. <laughs> um, so the, the initial process for us was I reached out to a friend of mine who had been through this before. She had both bought into a partnership and had her company sold. 
um, and she recommended a consultant to us who was invaluable. Uh, she helped with really internal transitions uh, for the most part, but was also familiar with external sales. She was our advocate and walked us through what to expect, how to evaluate um, evaluations and put together counteroffers and um, to take some time and let things settle and understand our needs. So we worked with her first to evaluate that initial uh, proposal that we received for the, the company evaluation and compare it to some other methodologies. There are so many different ways that you could value a company and it's um, quite tricky and it starts to feel very arbitrary. It's just numbers that you're manipulating on a yeah. page. Yep. So I took a different approach and I um, you know, asked for financial information for the company. I wanted to build out a, a budget, 2021 budget based off of our teams combining the new partnership, all of the expected expenses, and then what the anticipated revenue was from the backlog that both of these companies' fine injuries had, just to see if we can afford it. Um, And that was really helpful. It it essentially told us that, yes, we can afford it, um, but this is really how much we can afford. And we used that as an opportunity to negotiate a structure that was sort of win-win for both parties. Um, you do all that first with your advisors before you get attorneys involved. Attorneys <laughs> the attorneys complicate it all. <laughs> yep. And, uh, so they, we got do it, they, go, they do it to protect us. They do it yes, for good reason, do. but they do yeah. complicate it. It makes it more complicated because they're not worried about people's feelings. They're right. worried about making sure that, the, that it works legally. Right, correct. Yeah. And so being able to have those conversations really more on a human level of like, what are you looking to get out of retirement? What are we looking to get out of this company? That was the best way to approach it. It was just very transparent about our intentions. Um, and through that process, it took a couple months and we got to a, a sort of a term sheet with all of the different components of the agreement that we liked, we were happy with. And then we're able to use that to provide to an attorney to draft up a, a um stock purchase agreement, which is the structure of what ended up happening. So we, in essence, the three of us have each 33% um, ownership of stock of the company and purchased 100% of the stock that Jerry and Beth had owned. So it was a 100% sale um, at the moment of the, the transition. Some some transitions are over the course of you know a few years or a handful of years, you slowly buy into it. Um, but Jerry really wanted to, in essence, retire um, this year, and so that's what we did. So a win-win for everyone. So it it you you've come to what the the you agreed on what the the value of the firm was, and then the three of you each purchased a third of that. Came in as three-way partners. Jerry got his lump sum, and he was he was on his way. So he he transitioned right out. So there was no transition for him with an overlap or any of that or what. How did that work? Did he spend some time in between mm-hmm. or did he just, you know, skedaddle? Yeah, he's still around. Um, you know, he, he was acting as an advisor and uh, there were a couple projects that were in construction administration that he was really leading. And so he wanted to stay involved uh, with those projects until they completed, which June. Wow, that's next month. Um, a couple <laughs> of them are wrapping up. And so he's worked really closely with Kate during the construction administration there. Um, and also there's a transition period of just sort of sharing information about the systems and accounts. And there's a lot to go over after that actual 
um, day of the sale. And, you know, we are, we're not rich. We're not coming into this with cash. So it's not like we unloaded the full value of a sale to Jerry at the time of transition. Um, our purchase agreement has a sort of a note, promissory note, which is fairly typical in ownership transitions that essentially says we promise to pay you X amount over the X period of time. Got it. So you're paying him in installments over time. He gets all the money. Um, and so that, so that purchase, so once he, once you made that agreement, you signed it, everybody signed that purchase is made. You now are the three owners of OJK. How is Jerry now structured? Is he an employee, a consultant? How does that work? He's just a consultant, a 1099 consultant on a really part-time basis. It's like, you know, six to 10 hours a month at this point. So he's there for transition, sort of make sure everything runs smoothly, transition clients, those kind of things. Yeah, and then beginning the transition and introduction to clients is super important. Um, Really, there were only a couple very important clients to OJK that had been long-time clients. So building that trust between their team and our team was uh, his main role and and did a fabulous job. It was just really felt flawless. Um, And we also had the great opportunity to get together and uh, work together on a couple of requests for proposals for new work with these teams during the leadership transition, which was chaotic. Um, but I think a good way for Jerry and us to work together and Jerry to say, you know, these are the new leaders on this project. They're going to take over with you. So that, that helped a lot too. So it's, it sounds like it went pretty smoothly. Um, I'm sure it was emotional. I'm sure it was very complicated. Were there any obstacles, any anything, any crises that sort of happened in the process that other people who may be heading in the similar direction should be aware of? There were there were a lot of times where we thought we were just going to walk away from the deal. It definitely wasn't, um, you know, with that initial sticker shock of the value of the company. And all of the different terms associated with it, because it's not just the uh, price of the firm. There's a lot that's involved in the sale of the firm and how that gets navigated and what's involved. Um, A lot of things that we didn't initially agree on and a lot of things that were pushed back on that we felt were deal breakers. And so we definitely had to take some time and cool off and think about things and come up with creative solutions. Um, that were not just the initial offering or, you know, it felt very black and white, this um, proposal for the sale. Uh, And so I think that was the most emotional thing is realizing that you don't have to take something as it is, uh, that you can work out different structures um, that get you to the ultimate goal of both parties, but getting to that final conclusion, that sort of negotiated position was was hard. Um, And there's a lot of I think that there's a lot of protection on both sides uh, and breaking that down and building trust in a really complicated um, yeah. transaction is, is it took time and it took patience. And I, fortunately with three of us, one of us would be emotional at all times, but the other two would balance <laughs> the other out. Um, and, and by the, by that nature, we were able to stay cool and, and push forward. Um, but I, you know, I would say, be patient with the process. If you can take more time than we did, this was a really escalated timeline. Yeah. 
um, you'll have more time to think things through and find alternative ways. Um, one of the hardest parts was having our consultants sort of negotiating with each other on our behalf. And we didn't like that because it sort of lost the human element of mm -hmm. our perspective and Jerry's perspective. And we felt we were most successful when we could just talk to each other um, as individuals and from the perspective of, of each other's goals and then go back to our consultants to work out the arrangement. So I would say that's really helpful. Strip away sort of the battling and negotiation of your uh, yeah. representatives. Um, and um, think about what's most important to you. Uh, we had to constantly weigh the difference between taking over an established firm who has a really strong portfolio in this work and what that would look like if we did it on our own. Um, and so that, that, was, that, that was an option, right? To yeah, right. The three of you to forget this negotiation stuff. Let's right. just go start our own firm tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand what you're buying. You need to understand what it is, the value of the company that you're purchasing. It's different for every company. In this particular case, it truly was the portfolio. Uh, of work and a 40 year legacy of portfolio work is, is valuable. Uh, we realized it would have taken us a long time to build up any sort of portfolio to be competitive on future RFPs with that type of work. These projects that take like 10 years to complete, just, you know, it's an insane timeline. And we didn't want to delay that process of doing meaningful work and continuing that portfolio. So to us, it was worth it. Uh, we just had to make sure that we could financially carry it without going broke our first day. <laughs> yeah. So it benefited your mission. So your mission was important. You understood your vision. You understood your vision, uh, your vision and your mission. Um, and that was a big piece of helping you negotiate this and not walk away from it because this firm and this opportunity helped um, uh, expedite your your mission of right building great housing for, you know, affordable housing for the world. Mm -hmm. And this, that this got you further along with that mission than without it, which, mm -hmm. which I want to point out because vision and mission are two things that I talk about all the time that so many architects think it's not important. It's just sort of, Oh, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, unnecessary piece. Just let's just get to the goals. How do we get to where we want to go? But the vision and the mission are how those goals happen, and and how you can get through those things. It's the it's your it's your guardrails as you're doing that. Uh, say, okay, this is out of bounds of our mission. This is not important. This is within our bounds of our mission. This is very important, uh, yeah. and it helps you make those decisions. And the other thing that was interesting is that you're negotiating with three of you and Jerry, but then you're also because now you're three equal partners, you're negotiating among yourselves as well. So is there some issues there as well where one of you may have said, well, I, you know, this is important, but the others say it's not important? Were there conflicts within the partnership? There was never a, a conflict where there was like a specific deal breaker for one person and the other person said, no, I, I want to do it this way. I think that there are certain components of the deal that were more important to others. Um, and so we sort of respected that in one another. Like these are the things that are important to me and tried to balance that out between one another. Um, but no, we, we didn't really have to 
battle with each other too much. Uh, we did a lot of workshopping with one another. Uh, we've got a giant mirror board going that's like this crazy person <laughs> mind map of all of our goals and dreams. And again, our vision for vision practice. And so we were in pretty strong alignment before we got into this negotiation process. And I think that helped a lot. We also had looked for like partnership agreements and understood what's involved in those and what to expect from one another to be very uh, mindful and respectful of one another uh, and know that we ultimately had the same goals in mind and so that we could trust that we were looking out for one another. Um, So that legwork up front to spend the time to align ourselves yeah. before we negotiated was crucial. Yeah, it sounds like a very good test for partnership as well as you move into the future. If you can make it through this, you can make it through anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it gives you lots of confidence moving forward when there are crises and things that, that get in your way as you're running your business. You know that you can get through it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's going to benefit you in the future. And speaking of future, what is the future of OJK? What, Where do you see yourself and the firm in, in let's 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 think long term, ten years from now, where is OJK, uh, and what are you doing? Yeah, so it's funny that you asked that. We're currently going through a rebranding exercise uh, to to recognize the different paths and different parts and pieces that have come together this year to build this new team and this new uh, vision. Uh, and part of that exercise, we did a predicting the future. Um, timeline mapping for the team for a five-year, 10-year, 25- and 50-year project. Did you do that with the full firm or just the partners? Yeah, the full firm. Um, it's a lot of fun. I expected to have really divergent answers, especially at 50 years, because like, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Surprisingly, they were all pretty similar. <laughs> um, this, this firm was meant to happen. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it also, I think it shows that having sort of that business plan and having the uh, culture and mission defined beforehand and then hiring people that fit with that and that contribute to that, it's pretty clear when we got together to do this rebranding that um, we did a good job because everyone is quite aligned in what they expect and what they want from this company, which is exciting. Um, But for, you know, the 10, 25 year Mark, uh, we expect to grow a little. Um, How much we grow, we'll have to battle that out with the partners. (laughs) Some some would like to get larger than others. Um, But we expect that we'll continue to expand a little bit with three partners. We're a little top heavy right now besides PR. Um, Interestingly, most people on the team had thrown out the idea of developing our own work, which, um, as you know, is part of my initial business plan for EDS. Yeah. And so that was really exciting to see. Uh, we've started to work with our CPA to put together a financial plan to set aside a certain amount of funding um, in order to invest in uh, developing our own projects. So what we're doing is we are uh, continuing the practice of affordable housing and aligning with our clients there and expanding our client base and our uh, uh, market base. So we'd like to go from San Jose up into where I am now in Washington, sort of the um, Seattle and Whatcom County area, potentially Portland, maybe Los Angeles. So in 10 years, we hope to expand along the coast in that way. 
Um, but we're also abandoning sort of the single family work that EBO is doing with clients and instead going to develop our own um, work in that single family zone, but looking to densify uh, properties and single family zoning. So that's really our, our mission is to add more housing units where we can. Um, so that's happening. And then somebody had thrown out the uh, idea of doing some research and materials and having sort of research lab, which was also part of the business plan. So it's kind of exciting yep. to see um, that that's an interest of the team. Uh, and we hope by like 10, 25 years that the term affordable housing might be obsolete and that we have provided enough housing for those areas that now we're focused on something a little bit different. Um, and, you know, recognizing that if we're working towards solving a goal, we don't want to become obsolete once we solve that goal. Right. <laughs> so that purpose of the, the, these workshops is to really understand our why. Um, and it's, it's all about providing safety and wellness and joy um, to people and elevating quality of life. So if we pivot at that point in time, we'll be looking for our next you know, how do we provide joy and elevate quality of lives of others? It's going to be very exciting watching you grow and to see where you go. Um, you are, from my perspective, doing so many things right uh, with focusing on vision and mission and planning and, and workshopping and keeping your firm culture strong. Um, you're checking the boxes one by one, and, and uh, it's going to be really exciting to see how it all blossoms and it you know because it's so early that you're planting the seeds really and uh, it'll be really interesting well you have planted the seeds uh, and it'll be really interesting to see you know how it how it blossoms I have one question before we wrap things up about what you were just talking about for the future you say you're going through a rebranding process you just bought a firm that's four decades old has a very strong brand very has a very strong recognized leader in Jerry um, and now you've purchased it and you're going to rebrand it. So can you talk a little bit about the strategy of rebranding it and how do you not lose the asset that you just purchased uh, with that 40 year old company? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's tricky. Um, not wanting to abandon the name that OJK has made for itself and lose that uh, is something that we kept in mind. We also didn't want Jerry to feel like we're taking over his company and completely changing it into something else. Uh, but he was really, really supportive of understanding that we might want to rebrand the company's name as his name and we are not Jerry. And so part of it for us, and that's how it was for Evia for me, is naming a firm not after a specific individual or the partners, because we hope that the firm outlasts us. So we'd like to um, align it in that way uh, and represent the larger team, the future of the team. Uh, but part of it was also looking at the client base, where we're going to have to we're going to have to retrain a lot of clients to understanding what's happening with this branding. And again, because OJK is client base primarily has been two clients and they know us quite well at this point in time. There, there isn't a lot of communication that has to happen there. Interesting. Um, that yep. makes it a lot easier. Yep. Um, and they sort of understand that we're new and different and uh, appreciate that we want to make some changes as well. Um, so it's going to be community-based. Part of it's going to be hard because Jerry is very involved in the local AIA and 
So I think communicating more so with our fellow architects about the change is going to be harder than communicating yeah. with our clients um, and the communities. But what we're really excited about is in August, August 9th to the day is the 40th anniversary. And so I would really love to take that opportunity to celebrate the past 40 years of, of OJK and that history and where it's been and how it's gotten here and use that as an opportunity to roll out the new vision for the next 40, 80, 120 yeah. years, whatever yeah. it is. So tying that history with the now and the future on that significant day, I think will be a really exciting story to tell. And hopefully we can use that as the way that we roll out our, our new brand. What a fascinating story to hear it from beginning to end. Um, and again, I recommend that you go back to episode 335 and listen to that and then then roll into this story and hear this as the evolution of that. Um, what a fascinating story. It, it, like I said, it's, I'm really interested in watching where you go um, as, as you grow and as OJK becomes whatever the next vision is for OJK. Um, if you had one thing to say to small firms who are listening that they can take a lesson to build their business better for tomorrow, what would you say that that one thing is? I can't remember if I said last time financials or a business plan, but if I said have a business plan, I'm going to reiterate that. What I have found so fascinating <laughs> looking back on the plan you know, it was ambitious and there are a lot of things in there that clearly weren't thought out um, in all of the complexities <laughs> that I understand now a few years after having written it. But if you, you know, if I look back on my plan, I can see exactly how I've ended up where I am now and um, that I had that idea of where I wanted us to head in the future to fall back on and making these major changes, both for myself and my team over the past couple of years. Uh, and it has only been to the success of the company and for the uh, benefit of the team. Um, I, I think I wouldn't have taken advantage of these opportunities that have presented themselves in the way that I did if I hadn't already had some sort of foresight into where we'd like to head. So definitely have a business plan, um, reconsider what your plan is, modify your plan, update your plan over time, but have some sort of plan and understand why that's meaningful for you is, is 100% um, super important. Leah Baer is her name. OJK Architecture and Planning for now is the name of the firm. Uh, OJK Arch, A-R-C-H, OJKArch.com is the website. I'm sure if the brand has been changed by the time this airs, it'll forward to the new website. So ojkarch.com. Uh, and if and if there are any updates by the time this is released, I'm, Leah will share them with me and I'll share them with you in the outro. So just hang on a couple of seconds and I'll share the, the update. Uh, Leah, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm always uh, excited to talk to you because you're so inspirational, so motivational to, to, to you to recognize uh, the work that you put into the success that you're making today uh, and and to have seen uh, the progress that you've made in the past is exciting. Uh, you're a role model to so many architects, um, and I want to to recognize you for that. And thank you very much for this conversation and for sharing your knowledge not only here on the podcast 
but all of the the work that you do for the profession it's better because of you so thank you for for what you do and thank you for sharing your knowledge here at entree architect podcast thank you mark that's so wonderful and such a huge compliment coming for you you know i'm still young to this industry and you are a massive inspiration and role model for me as with everyone on your podcast in the entree architect community i think it's you know i've said this before but why i'm here as well having that network and support and people to look up to and sort of just pave your own way with the support of your peers has been invaluable so thank you for everything that you do too you're very welcome if you liked this episode of entree architect podcast please share a rating write a review and share a link to this episode with a friend that's how entree architect will grow to serve thousands more architects just like you Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and InfraTech Comfort Heaters for their support of this episode. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect peers. Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thank you for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real 
to this day, I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. So for me, the the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.